Welcome in to Locked on Knicks. Alex Wolf here and no Gavin today, but I do have a great guest to talk through the Knicks 118 to 114 loss to the Grizzlies. I have Jeff Rasmussen of the Strickland here to talk about this one and things that we saw, a late game collapse that felt all too familiar to things that happened before the three game win streak. Uh, Julius Randle maybe feeling himself a little too much down the stretch and and the Knicks sort of playing an ISO ball brand of basketball and uh, a good performance from Mitch and some some other various odds and ends from this game that ultimately the Knicks played the number two team in the NBA pretty tight. So not <laughs> tough to get too mad about it, but we'll talk about it all next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team Every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts. Without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up. Up left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. He's out. And he's out. Anthony for three. Welcome in to Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. And we want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day, whether you listen to us on your favorite podcast platform or whether you're checking us out on YouTube, where, of course, you can see uh, the smiling faces of myself, Gavin, and in this case today, Jeff, who, you know, we're maybe not doing the most smiling in the world after this uh game here i'm alex wolf i'm editor-in-chief of nick's site the strickland which you can find at the strict.land he is jeff rasmussen uh also of the strickland does a lot of great recaps and also uh, is on the twitter handle most days during the games for the strickland jeff how you doing man how uh how you feeling after this here loss a, a sort of return to form for the knicks in the worst way possible i'm i'm feeling good you know like yeah. It's, it's hard to be too upset when the team keeps playing, showing they can play that well and hang there with good te- good teams. Like, the frustration doesn't lie from this loss. The frustration lies from if the team can be this good, why didn't we make the changes necessary to be in a better position right now earlier in the season, you know? But as far as this game is concerned, it's tough to be too frustrated. The Grizzlies are just a really good team, and we were shorthanded. Yeah, it does, it does ultimately come back to the point that we've been making for weeks now, which is sort of like Tibbs has not been fantastic. This team clearly has some things that they need to work on, especially when it comes to late game execution. Uh, And I think that's the place to start with this, right? Like on the surface, RJ Barrett, Julius Randall, Alec Burks, all pretty good games, right? Like 23 points for RJ, 36 for Randall. Awesome. 18 for Alec Burks, but then you start looking through the box score a little bit. Julius, uh, 11 of 27 night from the floor. That is not fantastic. RJ, 9 of 25. Definitely one of the worst combined efficiency games from those two in a while. That adds up to 20 of 52. Not fantastic. <laughs> um, not what you really want to see overall from your two uh, two top guns there. And, you know, I think that unfortunately what sort of happened in this game, there was – a lot of the 
signs of what has happened to the Knicks late in other games, particularly during that really bad stretch where they were where they were losing as much as they were. Um, with you know, they give up a quick, I think it was four oh or six oh run to end the I think it had to it had to have been six oh because they were up fifteen uh coming towards the end of the third quarter and then all of a sudden the Grizzlies finish the quarter with a pop. The Knicks make a couple bad, you know, turnovers to end the quarter too. And then they wind up only up by nine going into the fourth. And then the Grizzlies just sort of snatch that momentum, keep it going. And by the time you hit the late game, they're up by, you know, six, seven points. The Knicks did their nice little fake comeback, but it ultimately didn't come to pass. Um, You know, and it was a lot of once things got tough, the Knicks just kind of went back to for a while. Alec Burks and Julius Randle playing your turn, my turn. And then R.J. Barrett, when he would touch the ball, it seemed like almost feeling like he he had to shoot because otherwise he wasn't going to touch the ball again. And he forced up some bad shots. Uh, even when Steven Adams went out, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark like really had a field day on the inside blocking shots because the Knicks were taking some pretty uninspired attempts around the rim. Uh, Clark ends up with four blocks and Jaron Jackson ends up with five. So... I don't know, Jeff, how are you feeling like about the late game execution in this one? Because I think I agree with you. I'm not super upset about this game. We know this season's lost anyway, you know, and they did hang with one of the two best teams in the NBA right now. But, you know, it's still disappointing regardless to see them sort of revert back to old tendencies down the stretch of the game. Yeah, I think the writing was pretty much on the wall when Thibodeau uh, pulled Deuce uh, with 10 minutes left in the fourth. I think all of us knew what was coming. Uh, And it was especially frustrating because, like, that wasn't Deuce's fault, that final possession. He guarded John Morant as well as can be expected for anybody, not just for a rookie. I thought it was a really good individual possession by him. John made a tough finish, and Mitch did not hedge down to help him at the rim. I don't understand why Deuce was punished. But when Thibodeau makes that decision – What he's saying is, I need guys I know will do what I want them to do. I need control. This is control Thibodeau coming back in. And the last 10 minutes were textbook. It was the Portland game all over again. It was the OKC game all over again. It was just slow, grinded out, everything antithetical to what helped build a 15-point lead through three quarters. And the result honestly should be expected. It's just... That's what you're going to get. We're not a good half-court team. We push the pace for a reason. We push the pace because we need an advantage more than most teams. And it just doesn't make any sense to go away from that. Um, And I don't even buy them being tired as an excuse. I believe they're tired. But you know what? If Julius Randle's tired, don't play him 12 minutes every first and third quarter. Like, stagger their rotations. You have an eight-man rotation. Let's move them in and out, you know, more and let's keep them fresh so that down the stretch they can keep running and keep pushing the pace. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's just the same old thing with Tibbs. That's how I feel. It's not surprising we lost once they went back to this and it soured a really good Alec Burks game. He scored 16 of his 18 points playing off the ball um, and being a secondary creator or being a spacer. And he hit one bucket down the stretch creating out of the pick and roll. That's it. He hit one and it it's a bummer because I really like Burks. He seems like a good dude, but 
games like this make me want him as far away from this team as possible as long as Tibbs is here because Thibodeau is going to over-rely on him. Yeah, it's just so bizarre to me that this guy is like, you know, in Burks is a a great three-point shooter, a great spot-up shooter, good at, you know, doing the get the ball, you know, assess the situation, take the dribble to the side to, you know, get his defender to dive into the stands trying to contest his three and then pop a three, you know, like that's his game. And yet at their worst, the Knicks, you know, just kind of trot him out there and are like, hey, you know, (laughs) Tibbs, who claims to be more about the analytics now, is like, you know, oh, you're shooting 33% at the rim this year, which is like has to be among some of the worst rim finishing numbers of all time. Uh, for a player getting as many minutes as Burks does. And, you know, just thinks the best idea is like, oh, let's run pick and roll with you as the ball handler and try to get you inside. And it's like, he's not good enough at drawing fouls to offset that 33% number. And, I mean, I was legitimately surprised that bucket that you mentioned. When he made that one, I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, this guy does not normally make buckets like that, you know, because he's just so bad on the inside. Um, and you know, I, it, every time that they run that pick and roll with he and Julius and it ends with Burks, you know, holding on to the ball and trying to get inside, I always just think like, well, there goes a possession because he's just, he's that bad. Uh, two thirds of the time that is not going to work for you. Um, well, so that's the, that's, that's, it. that's, that's the super frustrating part about it is that when Burks specifically runs that pick and roll and it's a coaching thing because you see quickly do it at his works too. They don't run the pick and roll in these moments to quickly create an advantage. They're trying to force a switch and then they're trying to take that mismatch one-on-one. That's the play. So here's what I don't understand about that. If you were to line Alec Burks and our 21 year old face of the franchise up next to each other and just chart their strengths and weaknesses If Thibodeau is determined to play this style of offense, everything he wants Burks doing late in these games, Barrett is better at doing. So fine. Like, would we be frustrated if, if Thibodeau just said, Hey, RJ, here's the ball, just run pick and roll with Randall over and over again. Would we be frustrated because it's not putting RJ in the best chance to succeed? Yes. But wouldn't we be less frustrated if it was RJ in the spot and it was Burks operating as the spacer playing the pick and roll in these late game situations. Cause at least we could say, Hey, at least RJ is getting a chance to like, you know, try in the, in these big clutch situations. That's actually a great question, uh, which I will get into in just a second about whether it would be better for the Knicks to trust RJ down the stretch and maybe try to leverage RJ and Randall together rather than, than separately as is usually the case. But I do just have to let everybody know today's episode is brought to you by bet online ag it's that time of year again uh college basketball tournaments are in full effect and they are fully upon us from all the latest odds and contests and player props betonline.net is the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info bet online bet online remains the best spot for all your sports scores podcasts and news this season as well and an intriguing line for knicks fans tomorrow maybe you want to Watch Kentucky face off again, or today, I should say, when people are listening to this. Perhaps at uh, 3.30 this afternoon, you want to watch Kentucky take on Tennessee. Well, uh, Kentucky's a minus two right now. You could head over to Bet Online, place a bet on potential future Nick Ty Ty Washington if you want to, uh, and uh, see how that goes for you. And it's not just basketball, though. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports 
wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. And there'll be baseball games soon. Where my Mets at to celebrate today. Uh, head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. All right, Jeff. So the, you asked that question before uh, we went to the break, and I think that's a great question. Honestly, you know, would this whole situation be less frustrating if the Knicks were just involving their two best players in it and trying to continue to build something between them. Whereas I feel like in this game, you know, if, if Tibbs says, Hey, you know, Alec Burks and Julius Randall, you know, I know that RJ Barrett's been probably the Knicks best player for the last two months consistently. You know, I know Randall's had a really hot streak lately, but like, RJ has been consistently like the go-to scoring guy lately, but you know, despite all that, I'm going to have you two run the offense down the stretch. And I feel like, you know, RJ and Randall are, are probably cool with each other personally, whatever. I don't think there's anything there, but you could see via how he plays that that sort of irks RJ at this point. And so when he finally gets the ball, then he's just like, well, I'm not going to pass it at all. And I'm going to just try to break down my matchup one-on-one if that's what it takes and try to get a basket here because I feel like this is all I have available to me. I think that there are some really intriguing options with RJ and Randall as your you know pick-and-roll duo. If that's the direction that you want to go, if you're Tibbs, like you have this possibility where you can have, you know, RJ take that like he used to do the, you know, the pick and rolls with Mitch more often, you know, take that pick and roll. And Randall's probably not going to dive to the hoop as much, but maybe he would. RJ certainly more likely to draw the attention of both defenders to be able to slip a pass into Randall, who's been playing a lot better at the rim lately, as far as I think he's been playing with more verticality. He's certainly been drawing free throws at a better rate lately. So, you know, you can leverage that. Or if the defenders don't help on RJ enough, he's so great at creating the small sliver of space against whoever he's matched up against, especially a big, if, if you know, the big is trailing just a second behind. RJ's great at finding that little window and putting it, you know, right on the glass so that there's no opportunity for a block there and, you know, finishing up his layups. So, you know, I'm with you. Like, I think that his skill set is just so much better. You know, he's finishing so much better around the rim than Burks is for sure that just that alone should say to you, like, RJ should be the guy running these pick and rolls down the stretch. And it's it's just kind of befuddling why he's not. And it, it makes you wonder, like, it's just one of those things, again, where we talked about, like, Tibbs is being Tibbs, but it's like Burks is not a point guard and he's not a finisher on the inside. He's, he's a complimentary scorer off the bench. He should not be, like, your primary initiator on any play. And... You know, it, it would make so much more sense to just kind of give RJ those reps at this point. But who knows if we're going to see that this season or not at this rate. Um, but it's it just is annoying to not see it that way. And it would be less annoying if RJ was doing it, for sure. Yeah, I mean, R- and RJ is a better passer uh, out of the pick and roll, too. He, he whips those one-handed passes to the corners uh, where Burks can just spot up. I mean, I, I love what RJ's done as a shooter this past, you know, one and three quarter seasons, but Burks is a better spot up shooter. In my opinion, it's just a backwards uh, thing. And one last thing revolving the rigidness, because this whole, the, our whole like hypothetical here is based on assuming that you have to just run a single high screen and roll. Like that's all you can do. If you go back and rewatch, if you go back and rewatch the Clippers game, they infused a new play in the fourth quarter 
And what it was was quickly dribbled the ball over half court. And it doesn't have to be quickly. He just happened to do it this game. Cam came up and set like a fake screen and then slipped it to the corner. And right behind him was Jericho Sims. But the little bump that the that Cam gave the defender already gave quickly a head start. And back-to-back plays, they got an alley-oop and a kick-out to Cam Reddish in the corner off of that little action. And you can just run that with quickly setting the rub screen and Mitch setting the real screen with RJ as the ball handler and Randall and Burks off on the wings, at least as like a primary action. Like the thing I don't understand about this whole like resignation to running single high pick and roll is it's the easiest thing in the world to get into. Like they're getting into it early in the shot clock, but if they try this little play and then RJ doesn't get get an advantage and can't get into the paint, then you just reset and you run Randall out to him and you run that screen and roll that you're running at the start of every shot clock. Why are they just waltzing the ball up the floor and then saying, "Yep, this is the one play we have to run"? I, it it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it almost it almost like <laughs> seems like they're running a a slow version of seven seconds or less, except for like. You know, there's there's been some good flashes of them. You know, certainly quickly and RJ have been embracing like the Nash dribble and doing that sort of thing where they get the pick yep. set for them and then bring it baseline. You know, if they don't have a layup available to them, dribble it under the hoop and start looking around for a shooter or just bring it all the way back out. And to your point, yeah, that's such a simple thing that you can do in like four seconds of shot clock. You know, it's like mm-hmm. try something different first and then you know, if that doesn't work out, then reset at the top real quick, run that, that high pick and roll. And then, you know, if you, someone's got to go down there and Nash dribble, cool. You'll probably still have like three or four seconds to look for an, an open shooter or do like a little swing, swing, find somebody and and take a good three pointer. So yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't make a ton of sense, but you mentioned another name that I want to touch on uh, real quick in Mitchell Robinson here. Uh, I thought Mitch had a pretty darn good game. All things considered 10 points, 16 boards, uh, which is, I, I didn't see if he had any post-game comments about his back hurting after this game, but that was what he said the last time he had faced Steven Adams. said, uh, my back hurts. Have you seen how big that guy is? Um, but uh, Steven Adams got hurt, but he did still have to deal with 25 minutes of him. Uh, eight offensive boards, eight defensive boards, which is kind of becoming the norm for Mitch. It's crazy that we're just sort of routinely expecting seven or eight offensive rebounds from him. Uh, but also four blocks, three steals, uh, he did have five personal fouls, but this is a really tough matchup as far as bigs go for him. Uh, and four assists. Like, I actually thought Mitch, there was one in particular where he had a really great give and go with with Randall that I was like, oh, that was kind of new. You know, like yep. Randall, like, threw it to him at, at around, like, the, the elbow. And then Mitch, like, just immediately beelined for the hoop. And Mitch was like, yup, and just threw it to him. And that was that. And I, yeah, was I don't know if I've ever him. seen that from- yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen that. That was a really gorgeous play. So I thought it was a really good game for Mitch. You know, it was, this is going to be a tough matchup no matter what. Like, I think that the Grizzlies have, between their starters and then, you know, with with uh, um, Adams and uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. And then having Brandon Clark off the bench, like, to me, I, I think they have probably one of the best uh, big man rotations and, like, toughest ones in the league right now, right up there with like the Cavs as far as how much versatility they have and stuff. Um, so I think this yeah, is a tough vers- matchup for Mitch. Versatility is a per- versatility is a perfect word. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think they do one of the coolest things to me, one of the coolest rotations in the league. 
And what they do is they start Jaron Jackson and Steven Adams together. So Jaron Jackson is the nominal power forward where they focus and emphasize his spacing more. And they ask him to chase shooters around as Steven Adams patrols the paint. But then when Adams is done playing, Jaron Jackson becomes sort of their nominal backup center. So they're Mm -hmm. trusting this young guy to handle two completely different roles, two completely different skill sets. And they're saying, yeah, we, we trust you to handle this. And it really, really pays its dividends in the fourth quarter because the Grizzlies can't play Adams in the fourth quarter. I mean, they can obviously, but his free throw shooting just kills them. And they would just much rather surround Jaron Jackson with shooters. And so for him to be comfortable in that spot, they have to have a rotation where he knows that system and he knows that role. And that is the value of versatility. And as we as Knicks fans know very well, if you don't have that versatility and somebody throws you a punch, it's tough to have a backup plan if you never try anything different. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, so certainly it took Mitch uh, being pretty strong in this game to hold up. We are going to get more into Mitch in just a second, but I did just have to remind everybody that today's show is brought to you by Boom, Bill Bar. I've been told if you're looking on YouTube, you can see I have a Bill Bar in my hand. I got called out for never showing the product. Uh, but this is the time of year when a lot of people have given up on their New Year's resolutions, but not this year for me. I have still been sticking with mine, eating plenty of Bilt Bars and staying nice and healthy instead of eating candy bars. Because, I mean, honestly, Bilt Bars, they're they're good for you. They've got hundred just 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs compared to a whopping 17 grams of protein. And there's these new ones called Puffs, which are really fantastic. They are a protein-infused marshmallow coated in chocolate, and yet still don't have a ton of sugar, don't have a ton of calories. I, I really don't know how they do it. They have one uh, cinnamon churro flavor that like is just ridiculously good. It tastes like a churro dipped in chocolate sauce, and I would not know it from a. I would not know it was a protein bar if you didn't tell me. If you just put it in front of me and I ate it, they're they're one of my favorites. The Built Puffs, so definitely check those out. Uh, but if you want to get some built bars for yourself, go to built.com and use promo code locked 15 and you can get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code locked 15 for 15% off at built.com. All right, Jeff. So we're going to continue uh, our discussion about the bigs here. And yeah, I mean, I agree. I, it was pretty impressive watching, watching the Grizzlies bigs, but uh, outside of, or maybe including that wonderful give and go pass that we mentioned a minute ago. Uh, what were sort of your takeaways from Mitch in this game where, uh, you know, again, he got in foul trouble and stuff too, but I thought I actually did a pretty good job of managing that down the very end of the game. He had a few moments that were less than ideal, but like other ones, you know, I, I saw some people getting mad about it, you know, like about him getting uh uh, blocked by Jaron Jackson when he was trying to go for a dunk. And I'm like, I don't know how you get mad at that. Like, you know, it's, <laughs> it's Jaron Jackson. He's also a really good shot blocker. You know, it's going to happen sometimes and it happens to the best of us. But, you know, I, I just, I thought that Mitch did all in all a really good job against like, again, one of probably the hardest front lines to play against in the NBA. Yeah, he was really good. Um, no qualms for Mitch here no major qualms. I guess I would say there was a stretch during the third quarter when we went up 15 where I thought his um, 
either focus or intensity sort of waned a bit. I don't know if he was tired or if just the lead. But, I mean, we were up 15 in large part because of him. Um, you know, I, I really thought to start the game, there was a couple possessions where he was just – he just was not there. Like, there was that one possession, first or second, when the Grizzlies got three offensive rebounds. And I was like, oh boy, we're in for a bad Mitch game. Like he, Steven Adams is just not a good matchup for him. And he just like very quickly and quietly overcame that. And you just know he's there on both ends. Like that's when you know it's a, that's how you know it's a good Mitch game. When you can just feel his presence, when he's, you know, tipping balls on the offensive glass, when he's contesting guys trying to get to the rim. And he did that tonight and he's been doing it more and more lately. He had seven stocks four steals and four blocks and three steals. And he's just, I mean, you said, oh, it's, we're taking for granted his offensive rebounds. We are, we're taking his offensive rebounds for granted. We're taking his rim protection for granted. We're, we're taking everything for granted. When, when Julius Randle and Evan Fournier are on the floor together, guys are getting to the rim. They just are. And he's a lot of times just a one man stalwart back there. And he does an admirable job. Um, at the number of people we're tossing around today, I saw four for 55. If the Knicks let Mitch go for four for 55, I'll be devastated. Uh, that is just, that is a value contract in my opinion. Um, and I think that if the Knicks do let him go, now obviously if somebody offers him a hundred million dollars, I understand, you know, letting him go, but whatever happens, if they do let him go, I don't think we'll truly understand his impact until he's gone. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, we literally just talked about that in our previous show, Gavin and I about the, the potential, you know, market for Mitch. And I think we were both in agreement too. Like if, if all it takes is 13 to 15 million to keep him around, I mean, I, I think I would be more than happy to offer that because I think that he's shown a ton of growth this year. I mean, now that he's finally like in the shape that he needs to be in where he's sort of melding the athleticism that made us love him at first with the, the newfound muscles, you know, that he maybe put a little too much of on uh, going into the season. Um, you know, I, I think that he's just, he's really rounding out into one of, I mean, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that with how he's been playing lately, he's one of the best rebounders in the entire NBA period. You know, it's, it, and I don't think it's really debatable. You know, he's, he does it in such an interesting way where he, you know, Prez actually wrote a great piece on this um, like a year ago, maybe, um, it, or maybe even longer. I don't know. It was, it was a bit ago, but about how Mitch was um, generating rebounds for others, you know, sort of just by being good at boxing out opposing centers and stuff like that. Like the reason is defensive rebounding numbers aren't often the highest. And, you know, we saw this all the way going back to guys like like Robin Lopez, for example. I remember he used to be really good at this, too. Sometimes you just box your guy out so good that it doesn't matter if you get the rebound or not. You're generating a rebound for your team regardless. Uh, and I think Mitch yeah. does such a good job at that. One of the uh, biggest misconceptions in basketball is that rebounding numbers reflect how you are as a rebounder. Um, Russell Westbrook, you know, his his is he a good rebounder yeah, when he's fully engaged? Absolutely, because he's just so athletic. Is he as good a rebounder as his rebounding numbers say? For Definitely not. And the most important thing you can see that actually reflects that is how the team rebounds with you on the court versus you off the court. 
Um, mm-hmm. Roy Hibbert, Roy Hibbert was a great example of this. The Pacers got devastated when he was on the floor. And if you recall, I mean, that Pacers team, we hate that Pacers team because they, they broke our hearts when we were the two seed in 2013, but Roy Hibbert got tons of flack for his low rebounding totals. Oh, you're seven, two. How can you only get six rebounds a game? It didn't matter. He took up so much space. It was tougher for opposing teams to offensive rebound when he was on the floor and that made him a good rebounder. Mitch isn't as good a box out as good at boxing out as Roy Hibbert was, or to your example, which was another great example, Robin Lopez, but he's such a presence that unsurprisingly, I looked at these numbers the other day, the Knicks have the lowest uh, total rebound percentage when Mitch is on the bench and the highest total rebound percentage when he's on the floor. So not only does he have the widest gap, but it's the widest possible gap that, that there can be. Uh, And that's, because he's just such a presence and his athleticism combined with that makes him an exceptional rebounder, even if the pure rebounding totals don't show it. Now, by the way, the offensive rebounding numbers do show it. He's an mm-hmm. absolute animal as an offensive rebounder, but as a defensive rebounder, I think how the team rebounds with him on the floor versus him off the floor is a better reflection of how valuable he is as a rebounder than his true rebounding numbers or his absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in full agreement there. Uh, I think we could probably move to our, uh, our next bit of the show here. I actually want to, you know, we talked about a few different things before we started recording that we were going to talk about, but I want to talk about something uh, different. How did you feel about quickly only taking one three in this game? I, I thought this was a little bit of a weird game from quickly because I don't think that the, I, I don't think the Grizzlies really had anybody that could like super eat him up you know, on defense. So I don't think that he was necessarily getting locked up that much. I just, it seemed like they didn't find him in the same spots or I guess maybe the real thing was like empower him as much in this game, sort of find his own shot while also sort of orchestrating the offense. Like I felt like we didn't see as much of that in this game versus the the three game win streak. Yeah. I think that what we're seeing is, I think he's moved beyond his, um, I don't want to say insecurity, but his focus on purely being a point guard. And I think the last few games, we really saw that balance of him trying to be a connector and be a distributor while also getting his own shot. But what I don't think has gone away from his early season struggles is I think he's putting a higher emphasis on getting into the paint we're seeing him finish in the paint more than we've ever seen in his entire career. So I think that a higher percentage of his possessions and with him getting two feet in the paint, whether it's a kick out, a floater or a pure layup, I think he's putting more emphasis on that than using his dribble to step into a three. Um, and then him off the ball, you know, I think just sometimes it's not your night and I think the ball just didn't find him. Um, I really liked his game on the total, but I'm biased. I love quickly. I think he should start. Um, I said the other day that I, I would rather have him be the opening day starter next year than Jalen Brunson. Uh, I'm just that high on him. I think he's really good. And I think that I agree with you that you want him shooting more, but given that this is a lost season and given we are focusing on development, I just think we're so confident, or at least I'm so confident in him as a shooter. 
I'm okay with him having a few games where he lives in the paint and he we see those growing pains at the expense of shots, even if it's worse for the short term absolute results. Yeah, that's a fair that's a fair stance to take. I think you know that it, it's 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 sometimes hard to just sort of like reconcile. I mean, I I guess I'll say my devil's advocate argument for him shooting more is that I still. I'm not as worried anymore having seen him shoot at the level he's been shooting recently, but I also still haven't forgotten about the fact that like he was shooting a pretty decent volume to start this year and yet was only putting up like 33% or so for like the better part of the first, I don't know, half of the season Um, or maybe even a little more than that. So, you know, I I do still want to see him get some shots up. That said, if some games he's more just trying to get into the paint and that sort of thing, that's cool. I just think I wish that he would have gotten a little more empowerment than he did in this game. Like he got a, a good amount of minutes and how could he not? Like the Knicks had barely any players healthy for this game. But like, you know, I, I think that I would have liked to see him get a, a little more power to to run the offense more, especially down the stretch of the game, because I think that those have been really good looks lately. Like you said earlier, like the one play that they busted out in the Clippers game when they were able to sort of put that game away was one that involved quickly being like the guy that initiates things. And and I think that's a great way to utilize him and leave it so that then, you know, RJ or uh, Julius can, you know, sort of adapt and potentially attack a uh, scrambling defense rather than having to be the guys that set the table uh, or just ISO straight up. I, so. I do also, I do also think that to your point, uh, I don't know why this just popped into my head now instead of answering the question you asked. But I think your que- I think your question and this game kind of exposed uh, a weakness and a frustration from Knicks fans with quickly, and that is that how reliant he is to shoot his threes off the dribble. I actually thought he got a number at least two, at least two threes in this game that were set up for him to catch and shoot. And he is just so much more comfortable taking a dribble. And he tried to do a pump fake side dribble to step to dribble into a three pointer. And look, you can be, we can be as high on quickly as we want to be. And we, but, but he's never, I'm the biggest quickly fan alive. And I feel comfortable saying that he is not going to be the primary initiator on a title team. He's just not. Um, And that's okay. Like he can be the second, he can, whatever he can be, you know, a guy who runs pick and roll. Sometimes he can be the starting point guard on a good team, but for him to be the best Emmanuel quickly, he can be, he has to be more willing to just catch and fire because he's going to be playing off the ball and he can't have such a high percentage of his three pointers come off the dribble. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you there. And I, it, I don't really have anything else to add to that because um, I think that's a good point to, to probably end this podcast on. Lots of lots of stuff to still chew on through these last few games. And ultimately, again, not to be lost in, in the fact that it was disappointing that they lost, but the Knicks were running effectively. I mean, if you consider the fact that Deuce McBride only got 11 minutes, Taj Gibson fouled out in 15, and Sims uh, only played six minutes. I mean, they played basically six guys significant minutes in this game. Uh, so it's pretty impressive that the Knicks were able to hang with the number two team in the West, regardless on the last game of their road trip before this, uh, this game at MSG East on Sunday. 
So all in all, not too bad of a game for the Knicks here. But Jeff, real quick before we get going, do you want to let everybody know where to find you, uh, your Twitter handle and all that good stuff, and, and then we can sign off for the day. Uh, yeah, I'm Frank Barrett, eleven nine. I uh, do recaps, like Alex said. I do recaps for Strickland. Here's the gear. You can get sweet sweatshirts like this at at uh, Strickland, and I also do some writing for uh, a movie review site called uh, Invention of Dreams. So yeah, you can find me doing mostly Knicks and movie stuff on Twitter, and it's pretty great. Cool. All right. Well, thanks so much, Jeff, for popping on. Uh, and for all you guys listening at home, uh, we will be back on Monday with the recap of the Nets game. Uh, I'm actually going to be in the building, so uh, it should be kind of fun. to. Uh, it's going to be my first Knicks takeover at Barclays, so that'll be fun. Um, I imagine there's going to be quite a good deal of Knicks fans there with the team playing a little better recently. And then we'll have some great shows for you guys next week as well. So thanks for listening. Enjoy your weekend, and talk to you all soon. Peace out.